0: Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I get to sit down with Opal co founder and head of the exercise and sport program, Kara Bazzi. Kara is going to be joining me as we talk through grief and relationship to movement, um, both what they have to do during this time of pandemic. And how we can be thinking through both how we're processing our grief through movement and how our relationship to movement might even reflect a process of grief that we're in. Hi, Kara. Hi, Carter. Hi. Hi. (laughs) We are recording once again. You're at Opal. I'm at home. Um, For those that haven't been listening, this is what we've been doing for what feels like months and months, but I think it's been... Maybe one month now. Right. I, know. It feels it's crazy. I know. This is the first time we're looking at each other, though, on the screen. So we get a video
1: this time. I know. Pretty
0: excited so about nice. it. Nice. <laughs> mm. um, so I'd love to just kind of give a small uh, window into how you're thinking about grief during this time yeah,
1: I think where everyone can agree is that there's just incredible change happening to all parts of our life, right? that are extending into our personal life, our work life, our life within for ourselves and movement and exercise. And so with change, there is both opportunities and losses. So I think i'm I'm kind of working with the assumption that that loss is inevitable uh, because change is occurring everywhere. And so I think people's experience with their relationship with movement might be something that they're very aware of, maybe things they're appreciating in this pandemic and things that they're grieving in this pandemic or afraid of or anxious about when it comes to movement. But I I, I believe there is such a benefit to be able to take a moment and take a pause to be able to place some of people's experience within the context of grief, because in doing so, We are being able to kind of stay emotionally healthy (laughs) of naming what is um, around our grief and getting that kind of working through our system. And my hope is that by locating some of the grief that we have, then we're less apt to cope in unhealthy, like continue to cope in unhealthy ways or exacerbate our unhealthy coping when it comes to exercise. Because certainly that can be a really big temptation right now to... Um, use exercise in a very disordered way. And so I'm hopeful that the more we can be aware of how grief is showing up, both in our relationship with movement or how we're using movement to express our grief, that we can keep it more kind of clean pain as we like to talk about versus the dirty pain. Oh. <laughs> so this clean pain of really just name like having our human emotion around this that's very pure and understandable and reasonable, given all these changes.
0: So I know that you shared a bit about going on a run and winding up writing a bit about kind of this relationship between grief and movement. I'd love to hear what some of your thoughts were that came through.
1: Yes, that definitely happened. And it's this. this has happened like a couple times in my life where... I've been, what you know, actually, you ironically been in movement and my brain is just going and I'm compiling a, a blog post or a letter of some sorts. And, you know, in this experience, I was thinking about our listeners here in the podcast. And yeah, I'd love to share maybe some of the questions that was running through my mind as I was
0: running. <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: Okay. So again, like just what are you noticing about your reaction to these recommendations to go out? and be outside and exercise. What does this change mean to you when it comes to the changes? Are you finding yourself going outside more for walks? Is that rhythm changing? Are you finding yourself feeling guilty for not going outside? Are you finding yourself bargaining and scheming about how you can go safely outside for a run and keeping yourself six feet from people and what to do when that runner passes you? Are you finding yourself looking for a basketball hoop at an outdoor court that's open or debating about asking your neighbor, even though you feel nervous, to use their outdoor hoop? Are you irritated with your roommates that are exercising together and you want social connection but you want to do something else with them? Are you afraid of how your body might change with the changes in movement? Are you not even thinking about movement because other losses are so great that you're irritated like today and hearing people talk about exercise? So I just think it opens up a lot of these questions to, to pause and think about where are you finding yourself in all this.
0: I In a way, like I hear some of the questions really specifically about grieving movement itself and like the changes to movement. And I also know that like those changes reflect those sort of larger systems and the larger things that are shifting and worth a lot of grief too. And so I know that that's some of what you're saying in this, when you're searching for the basketball hoop, when you're searching and bargaining for someplace to run, like all of that is both processing on one level, your actual relationship to grief and your relationship to movement at the same time in action. <laughs>
1: Yeah. They're, they're both occurring, right? Like there is, like, I think of for myself, even having a high appetite for movement and having a lot of pleasure in movement and in sports. So that's a bigger part of my identity. So to have those things be shifted, the actual movement itself being changed ignites grief and part of the stages of grief. But then there's also the aspect of exercise as the means for coping, again, right for all these other ways that we feel grief in in life and feel anxious and scared and movement as a means for coping right so they're, they're both of those things can be occurring and 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 for the same person both of those things can be occurring. We're all it's safe to say that we're all collectively experiencing some form of grief, big or small and we might be aware we're the pocket in our lives where grief is hitting the hardest and exercise, Maybe a way that you use to cope with the grief or cope with the negative feelings of uncertainty, but it also, like I said, could be a large part of your identity that brings you so much joy. So I think of like the professional athlete who, you know, is facing for the first time what it's like not to compete. And that's a huge part of their life. Right. Or the or the seniors in high school that are wanting to play college sports and they're they're losing out on their last senior season or they're juniors and they're trying to get recruited for college athletics. And what does all this mean and how are they going to get what does the recruiting process look like now? Right. So there's obviously yeah, there's such different nuances depending on how big of a place movement and sport takes in your life, but then also how you use how you use it in your life to cope.
0: Yeah. I would love to know more about what that looks like specifically for you right now.
1: It's interesting because I'm really aware of the change that I've gone through in my rec- recovery process around using movement as a coping and using movement as affect regulation and I I can feel my sturdiness and that not being ignited, right? Like that that's not my go-to and I, because I've done a lot of work on that But it is a big piece of my identity. It's a big piece of pleasure. So that's where I feel the impact. And so I think I'm just missing a lot. I, you know, I can't play my basketball games on Tuesday nights. I'm missing my teammates. I'm really missing that camaraderie of connection that is not just talking to people, but it's playing a sport and competing I am missing like the freedom of the like not of having that layer in the running, too, where you're having to be thinking about where everybody is and passing people. And you know, I'm noticing I'm holding my breath when I'm passing people to not ingest any yeah. <laughs> the, you know, of the whatever they're called, the um... droplets. Droplets. Thank you. the droplets. So just to have to think about that, I don't want to be thinking about that when I'm running. And then I have this whole part about my family. Like, I'm so missing out on my kids' sports seasons. We missed their entire volleyball seasons for both kids. I'm having to sit and watch my husband, who is a you know track coach. He's missing his entire track season and the joy that that brings him. And thinking of what this experience is like for coaches and for athletes and... The great sense of loss around that part of uh, that part of their life i'm also like recording this week we were supposed to be on family vacation that we're not doing anymore and that feels like a major loss because our vacations are a place where i get to be outside and i get to move my body and i got to swim in the ocean and i get to do all these things that i'm not having access to so For somebody too who doesn't have a disordered relationship with movement anymore, like just the acknowledgement of the loss um, and even, yeah, I think we'll get into this more, but just kind of seeing how I've kind of walked through different stages of the grief process, I've been surprised to see how much I bargain. I'm a big bargainer.
0: What, I of, my, why? what do you mean
1: by that? It was not difficult to find myself in the bargaining stage. <laughs> because my appetite is so oh. high. So I'm like, oh, how can I get around this?
0: <laughs> so speaking of the stages of grief, can you let us know what those stages are and how we would be mindful of those in this time?
1: Yeah, I think it's been really helpful to bring back these stages of grief. I've, I've heard other kind of podcasts and resources really bringing this in as, as people are aware of um, this, again, collective grief that people are in. And it's it's important to state, right, that we can be in multiple stages at the same time. It's not linear. But I think it's really helpful. It's a helpful framework to sort of find, again, what, what our experiences are and be able to label it in, in these stages. So the, the, there's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance are the five, uh, the five stages. And then I've also heard resources um, wanting to add a, a sixth stage, which would be a meaning making stage after you've kind of gone through the five stages. I've been bringing in actually these stages of grief into our rethinking exercise and sport group because I've noticed with our clients, there's so much at the surface right now in relationship to movement. Uh, and so it's just rich to be able to acknowledge the grief in all of it and, and where people are feeling angry or where people are really in denial. So
0: in what ways, like, can, I want to hear like maybe an example of, of those five yeah. stages.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I would love, I actually have been thinking through specifics in each stage, especially, um, yeah, just for you, for you as a listener too, to kind of See if any of these examples resonate, or if it helps you kind of again find where you would find yourself in these stages. So, you know, denial is I think just denial. The the kind of reality of it is that it's acting and behaving as that there's no limitations. So it's sort of that I can I can still exercise and move the ways I always have. Life is kind of normal. This doesn't affect me. You know, denial in a stage of grief can actually have utility. It can actually serve a function. But it, yeah, in this case, um, it could also prevent you from being able to explore other aspects of what is going on within your grief. And I think for somebody with a, with eating disorders, denial is one of the major, <laughs> major, uh, what would we call it, symptom of a eating disorder, sign of an eating disorder, especially in movement of, you know, definitely people kind of feeling invincible, like, exercising and training without adequate nutrition and feeling like, well, I'm okay. There's no, there's no injuries, so I'm okay. Or I've heard of, you know, people, there's a lot of people that have exercised on injured um, ligaments and bones. And, and so even the, even maybe denial of the pandemic can point to, other times in life where there was a lot of denial, like I, I recently read a friend of mine in the pandemic has been going through some old things from graduate school. And she found a letter I wrote when I opened my practice years ago. And I, the way I talked about my eating disorder, I was so minimizing of it.
0: What did you it was say?
1: hard to read it. It was like, well, I flirted with an eating disorder, but I didn't say I had one and i was so shocked to see well i was i was shocked and not because i know i had a lot of denial especially as an athlete Of like well mine wasn't that bad and so again just i think you know denial <laughs> can be very 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 apparent especially in relationship with exercise with folks with eating disorders and and, and maybe even a, a bit more with athletes yeah is there things that you can think of into the denial stage that
0: I mean I th- I think that you know every time we've recorded a podcast since this pandemic started I feel like I've found myself with new reflections on how I've been behaving <laughs> over this period of time. I'm like, oh, okay. Week 1 I was in a totally different spot. I'm in a different one now. Not necessarily with movement, though my relationship with movement has changed a lot during this month. But in general, I think that the first Week or two, I went into a mode of sort of compulsive connection with people. And like, I'm an introvert, and I was on so many Zoom calls and so many FaceTime group chats, and like connecting with every group of people that ever mattered to me, and like just everybody, and kind of just all over the place. And was, as people might know from listening to what I said early on about being. Um, In self isolation, I was in self isolation earlier than most people in Seattle, and so I think there was a sense of of really having to grapple with that quickly, but also kind of in a stage of denial about what that would mean and how long it would be, and sort of like how much I could just sort of make the most of it. I guess (laughs) that's a big that's a big phrase floating around lately, making the most of it. I've heard a lot of people say too, like, well, this isn't so different from my normal life as an introvert or as someone that maybe worked from home already or someone that didn't like to go many places.
1: Yeah. I think that like making the most of it and finding the silver lining again, there's, there can be really big value in that, but I would caution if it sort of hijacks the grief process, right. Of what are you, yeah, if that's used as a form of kind of denying what's there, right? So then again, these don't have to be in this order, but anger could show up in a variety of ways. I had, I kind of enjoyed <laughs> thinking through how anger, it was a fun exercise. Cause I, like I said, bargaining is probably, bargaining and depression are more, um, I find myself in those stages more than anger. So it was probably, that's probably why I had a little pleasure
0: Oh, kind Cara, of side. <laughs> I woke up so angry yesterday. So yeah. I feel like I have a lot to say about this where like, I don't know. I mean, especially in terms of movement, I am one of the people that's been taking a lot of walks. I've found, I mean, I can say more about my, my movement relationship this month in general, but for the sake of talking about anger, like I think that it's been a place where I'm like, you know what? I, I live somewhere that's really beautiful. I can make the most of going outside and seeing which flowers have bloomed and taking breaks from my small home and my partner and my work life by just like going outside and taking a little breather and coming back. And yesterday I woke up and I was like, I don't give a sh. <laughs> what a curse, but I do not give a anything. I don't know how to say this without cursing, But I, ass. yeah, I don't give a rat's ass about the freaking flowers outside. I don't care if it's sunny. I don't care if it's beautiful out. I am angry. Another tiny little walk isn't going to do anything to change the reality. And if I just go on a bunch of walks for the next four months or something, my life will still feel really meaningless. And I am just mad. Like, I don't want to do anything. I'm just mad. Like this is useless. And I'm over it. Yeah, I'm really over it.
1: <laughs> but you got into some anger.
0: Yeah, I really did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Here's a couple other variations that maybe, you know, as listeners relate to, maybe not. But this, we've heard this one actually a couple times with some of the clients. People are dying all over the world, and I'm mad about not being able to go to my fitness class. I'm so selfish.
0: Mm-hmm. So the
1: anger back turned towards self. What is wrong? And then this one is more maybe eating disorder related, but can also be kind of amplified by the pandemic. What is wrong with my body? I exercise plenty, and it will still not lose weight. I hate it. So those are again like self t- anger turned towards self. I feel stuck, trapped. This sucks. I can't believe people are posting all the at-home workouts during this pandemic. What is wrong with them? Anger towards other people. <laughs> that one I've heard quite a bit about the at-home workout posts. I hate my body and I don't want to be okay with it. That's getting an staying in anger this might be again for the sport watchers this is so dumb the mariners would be 16 and zero right now i heard that one the other day
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then of course like i think of the athletes life isn't fair i'm a senior and my track season's strep that sucks again what we were saying earlier of is is exercise used as the means for coping is exercise like in somebody's life, but maybe more in their community? What is it like for somebody who is an athlete or where there's a lot of pleasure with movement or if exercise is really tied up in the eating disorder? So the anger variations could look different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we move to bargaining? Yeah. Or do you mm-hmm. want to say more about No, go ahead. Okay. And then bargaining, my favorite I've realized <laughs> is I call it the workarounds. How do we get around the limitations? This could look like, well, if the park near my house is closed, can I find another park or drive somewhere else that's open? You know, another variation. If, if the gym is closed, can I get my coach to open it up for me so I can do some training? We've also heard some of the, it's, well, it's not that bad. It's not like I'm back to some really bad drinking patterns. Or I'm I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm going to the park, so it's not that bad. Or for the sport watchers, I might not have March Madness to watch, but at least I can still watch the reruns of some awesome championship games. So if you can see kind of the, like, well, if I can't have this, I can have that. Or how can I kind of get around this maybe rule a little bit to get what I want? <laughs> this one's near and dear. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that's, that's kind of what you're going to hear in the bargaining. (laughs) You're trying to, you're trying to get what you want by getting around it a bit. And then depression, you know, I think people are really afraid of depression because I think people are afraid they're going to get stuck in a, in depression. And I, again, the, the point of feeling emotion and letting emotion be there is that that's not how emotions, we don't, unless we resist emotions, that's where we really get stuck. But if we allow kind of them to enter in and exit out of us. We we don't get stopped up. We we they do shift. They're ever changing. And I I don't know how many people have thought that, but I know for me my emotions are changing kind of every hour, every minute. But depression, I think where I hear when I hear depressing comments, it's the, that morning. It's a it's the really like this is really hard. You know, I feel so out of control and it's hard for me to not have swimming. I can't go to the pool and that brings me so much joy. Or I'm, I'm really missing my friends at yoga class. How long will it be until I see them again? Or like I said earlier, running is such a freeing way. Now I'm worried, freeing way to get out of my head. Now I'm worried if I pass anyone that they'll breathe on me and it doesn't feel the same anymore. And it's really hard. Or I can't imagine my life without soccer. It's so hard to not have the season. I don't even know what, I, what to do with myself. Who am I without it? I don't know. Or now that I know I have time, I'm noticing I don't have motivation to get outside and go for a walk. And that's so depressing. So it's that kind of mourning, the groaning, kind of that groaning stage. And maybe some kind of fatalism can happen in that too, because there isn't an answer at the end. And you're just kind of sitting in it. You're sitting in the in the pain. And then lastly, the acceptance stage would have more of a kind of they kind of talk about it as having a little bit more of emotional detachment so it could look like that this is a hard season and I'm and I am going to get through it I can move my bodies in ways that are safe and I know I can return to my preferences when life returns to normal and that or or like these limitations are here and now what how do I you know move forward what are the opportunities before me or I'm in the recovery process and I know this is hard and it won't always last forever. It won't be like this forever, but right now it is hard. The acceptance kind of gets you to that place of your your mind, your, your possibilities are a little bit more opened because there's, I, I, I kind of think of it as like there's just more room. <laughs> there's more room for other feelings and thoughts to enter in because you're not as uh, consumed by the other stages.
0: Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about, um, what we talked about in our self-inquiry podcast. And I know we ended that episode sort of, um, talking about how some of the point of self-inquiry is to get to more of a question and the question only begets more questions. And that's some of what I'm hearing in this phase of, of acceptance as well. Right. That it actually is one that maybe is a bit more of a settling into what's new and what's real and maybe a little bit more emotionally detached in some ways, but also very present to kind of the ever shifting circumstances and open to the fact that there's going to be more questions and there's going to be more things to feel and more changes to come, but that that's, again, sort of an acceptance of of a process.
1: There's, I think of like, there's an energetic kind of balancing out, but then you might move into another stage of our anger or bargaining or denial with something else that takes up a lot of consumes a little bit more. Right. But this acceptance does feel like there's a kind of a, a release and making room again for more. And then again, you could be going into other stages with other things.
0: Especially because this isn't a process that it's ended. Like I think typically when we are grieving, we are grieving something that is over mm-hmm. and this experience that we're all in collectively is one that is continuing to unfold. And so there is, I don't know if you've read this, um, around trauma, but in the collective trauma we're in, we should be treating ourselves as such with a lot of gentleness without the expectation that we can, pro- that we can process trauma while trauma is still happening. Mm-hmm. And I hear that with grief too. We can't, entirely process this grief because we are not out of it. Right. Um, and there will be new experiences that keep coming, um, both in our relationship to movement and elsewhere that bring up more anger and more denial and more bargaining and more fris- like whatever. It's gonna It's going to keep being a cycle. And hopefully we can sort of peel back layers of acceptance and then kind of get down to a bit more familiarity with that process hopefully Mm
1: -hmm. well again like if you're going if you're sort of going through these stages of grief like i think of the processes that have happened around the recommendations for example for outside so it's kind of this well we might have all these limitations but you can be outside safely right and and get get the fresh air go for the walks you could be going through a lot of these stages and finding a place of acceptance, for example, with that recommendation, and then it was, well, what more is going to happen? Okay, now we have to have the social distancing in place. So then how does that affect the spaces outside and the safety outside? Okay, well, now we're going through all the feelings and stages of grief, potentially, or different stages around that, and say we get to a place of acceptance there. Well, now, next weekend, oh, well, the parks are closed. And there is no, yeah, we don't know the end in sight, right? But if if we are, my hope too, if we are able to be with those stages and let that stuff be energetically moving through our body, then maybe we are going to be less apt to try to manage all of that by excessively and compulsively moving or avoiding movement completely and not considering, not letting any space be open for the grief, right? Like, again, it can get thwarted and... And basically coped again within this kind of, like I said at the beginning, in this negative way that can take people down a path that is going to be a, really
0: challenging. So with with more avoidance of movement, that's how you would be thinking about it?
1: Yeah, because the avoidance of movement and the like if someone, you know, appetites for movement can be different. So people could, you know, maybe find themselves doing less traditional exercise, but they could be OK with that. But active avoidance generally has a lot of the same underlying principles as compulsive um, exercise. We've talked about that on the the podcast before. So both are have forms of a more disordered relationship to movement, especially if we're not acknowledging our grief.
0: Mm -hmm. I also like, I think I want to make sure that people listening that maybe aren't moving very much also get a chance to think through like how, how that also could feel like a new kind of permission. And some people might be feeling that as well, that they're maybe avoiding movement in a way that is actually more healthy or, excuse me, healthier Mm -hmm. for the first time, because they feel like they have permission to not do it as much as they used to.
1: Right. There's, there's, there's definitely that effect of this too, right? Like these, these limitations are providing some like you saying, like a kind of external permission that people weren't individually giving themselves before. And so I've, I've definitely heard that even coming from clients as well around the relief of everything being closed down and it that it, that can provide an opportunity to have a new experience with, with themselves without the kind of pressure that they once felt. Yeah. Mm. So I think there are a lot of, I mean, we're talking about the grief aspect of it. And I think part of that is that that also opens us up to the opportunities. Because I do think we're going to come out of this with a lot of opportunities that are really positive, like a kind of this almost forced change that um, allows people to learn about themselves in a way that's really life-giving and healing. But I, I just don't want to skip over the step of the, the grief side. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm finding myself flipping that script a little bit in my own life where I feel like I'm processing grief about other things in a healthier relationship to movement for the first time where I'm I'm using my experience in my body in a way to really make me feel very grounded and flexible and like attuned to myself in much more creative ways than I used to be because I think I feel like I'm sort of forced against a wall with a lot of limitations in other areas. So I'm like, Oh, well, I still have my body. Like I could, I could stretch a lot for the next 20 minutes and lie on the floor or I could go on a walk or I could try running or I could try dancing or like, it's one of the places that I feel like I'm able to have novelty and experiment and take care of myself in a way like there's just so much of that that of that that actually feels really beautiful right now as grief around other things like needs a way out Mm -hmm. my body feels like it's getting to be a vessel in a way for some of that getting to move and shift around in new ways too
1: really glad you're saying that because i think it it does it highlights and and illuminates the possibility too of what can come from acceptance of the limitation of what is possible like what can be opened up and possible and and finding finding new ways to be inhabiting our bodies and, and getting outside of the sort of cultural norms around what being in a body looks like and what exercising looks like i mean totally. if we don't have the gym and we don't have running for example like i mean there's so many ways to inhabit a body i know um, might be place that people can really play and get creative around that and mm-hmm. and really experience new things like i just when you said that too i was thinking we just had a group here at opal and it's it was about exercise and sport and one of the one of the clients was talking about just she she was she was expressing her anger about her exercise addiction and she kind of caught herself and realized that she was the way she was expressing her anger was very um she was kind of matching the tone of the rest of the group and she felt like she really needed to yell and use her body to express her anger and so it was this impromptu moment and she you know, put out her hands and made her body really big and yelled. Cool. And it, it just that physical, you know, that using her body and a physical manifestation of the anger. I mean, everyone in the room felt the release and the, just the power of using her body. And again, people wouldn't put that in. She exercised, right? Like that's not, they. but that was move. That is a movement and inhabiting of mm-hmm. a body that was really powerful for her.
0: Yes. It's, it welcomes such a new level of creativity when we are so cooped up. Like our bodies, I I think that our bodies are often under a lot of rules and restrictions around what they're allowed to do in public and what they're allowed to do at the gym and how you behave at work and all this stuff. And, and all of that's been blown to bits. And It's like, you know, you could wear a crazy outfit on the other side of a Zoom call and nobody knows, or you can be, I mean, I keep finding myself making very weird sounds as just sort of an expulsion of energy out of my body just to like be grumpy or be extra sad or just like exaggerate those things with my my tone or like you said, like with my body just to sort of like shake and like jump around or like, ah, you know, just going crazy and our bodies can do a lot of work to express that for us, right? Yeah.
1: So as a, as a closing thought for the listeners, I think the invitation in this episode is to have an honest conversation with yourself about the grief you're in. And I hope that by making space for this grief, you're able to be on the healing path, um, either where you don't begin getting more embedded on a path of using exercise as a means for negative coping. Uh, through disorder behavior, whether that's avoidance or compulsion. And maybe like Carter has been sharing at the end, um, that there's going to be fun surprises kind of along the way in, um, in connecting and syncing up with grief and what that makes space for.
0: Thank you so much, Kara. And thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the Appetite if you aren't already. Um, And you can find us on any of your favorite podcast apps. We assume that you found us already somehow today. So make sure you go back there and subscribe. If you want to follow along with Opal on social media, find us on Instagram and Twitter. Find us at Opal Food and Body. If you want to learn more about our programming as well, make sure you go to our website at opalfoodandbody.com. You can learn more about what we offer clinically as well as some community events that are going on um, even during this time. Thank you so much to Camille Dodson for helping us out um, on all of our managerial needs and tech needs during this time of pandemic on the podcast. Um, Thank you to Jack Cultural Center for being our team in sound engineering, even though we are not recording there right now. Thank you to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music and to Hans Anderson for his incredible editing. Join us next time. Bye.